It's like your favorite call-in radio show. Without being able to call in. And without being on the radio. Building HVAC Science with Bill Spohn. Hello and welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Where we're here to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. I met this guy, Phil Zito, a few years ago. Actually, Brian Orr introduced me to him at an AHR conference. And hey, be sure you're looking at the AHR Expo in Atlanta in February 2023. If you can get there, it's free admission. Just look for AHR Expo. A lot of stuff you can learn. In addition to seeing all the folks from TrueTech, all our vendors, and my friend here, Phil, on the podcast. So today we're going to listen to Phil Zito as he describes the journey he's taken from being bored to blogging to building a business that provides top-notch online training and workforce development programs. Formerly known as Building Automation Monthly, a newsletter and podcast in its early years, what's now called the Smart Buildings Academy has experienced rapid growth. Now, as the Smart Business Academy says on their website, if you've been looking for a way to take yourself or your building automation team to the next level, then you're in the right place. One of SBA's guiding principles is to focus on the customer's profit. Now, Phil understands from personal experience the importance of focusing on training that not only develops building automation systems knowledge, but also teaches how to do building automation in a way that is profitable and efficient. If you're a building automation systems professional looking to grow your skills or looking to enter the BAS field, you owe it to yourself to check out the Smart Buildings Academy. I've included some links in the show notes to Phil's LinkedIn profile, of course, the website for SBA, the Facebook group, the LinkedIn group, and Phil interviewed me on his podcast recently. So this was a real fun of interchange of ideas over the last few weeks. This episode was recorded in December 2022. Let's listen in as Phil Zito describes his journey in creating the Smart Buildings Academy. Phil, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's a little overcast here in Pittsburgh. And where are you located? Phoenix, Arizona, north of Phoenix, actually. It's a town called Prescott. And it's in the mountains. Folks think of Arizona as a desert. It's actually, I think, the low is 20 this morning and the high is 48. Wow. 6,000 feet elevation. It's kind of fun. So we weren't going to talk about geography today, where we, Phil? No, we're going to talk about my history and what mistakes folks can learn to avoid. And what you've built in the smart buildings or building academy? Buildings, yeah. Okay, plural. So give us some of your background. What were you doing the last couple of decades? I'm 40. So in 2007, I exited the military. I was a Navy missile technician. So that would have made me 23, 22, something like that. And they had a couple options for me. I went through Orion International, which is a military placement agency. And it was work at a soap factory, a glass factory, or work in the world of building automation. I was three options. And I decided to take building automation. Had no freaking clue what it was. I got placed with an Allerton dealer at the time. They 
used me as a programmer. I no should not have been a programmer. They're like, go program the central plant. And I had no clue what they were talking about. I could have been like a tree in the middle of a room. And that was the central plant. I had no clue what a central plant was. I remember learning to code and turning on a chiller without the isolation valves opening. And it just kept deadheading. And mechanics were looking at me like I was crazy. And I was like, it's supposed to sound like that. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. It's all good. But I didn't blow anything up. And over time, I just spent a ton of my own time in the evenings learning about HVAC. I went and bought a bunch of books on that, learning about building automation, electrical. I'd always had a good technical aptitude and a mechanical aptitude, even though I was not a mechanic. I changed oil on a car once, but I tested on the ASVAP. I tested like very, very high on mechanical and technical aptitude. My brain's wired that way. And so I bought parts off eBay, bought actuators, temperature sensors, bought some controllers off eBay. And I've just started messing around with stuff and teaching myself, got the Honeywell Gray Manual and learned just through many nights trial and error. Wow. Yeah. At that point, were you applying any of it at work? Yeah, definitely. I did an Intel fabrication plant with, I think, 800 VAV boxes. And I did startup, checkout, and programming, and mapping all those in. I did a central utility plant at an AT&T data center with ice storage. And so it all just made logical sense. At the end of the day, building automation, mechanical systems in general, are just inputs that drive some sort of logic that drives outputs. And whether it's electrical and the series of relays, things like that, whether it's mechanical and the things of like switches, or if it's logical in the case of building automation where it's logic, it all just is a series of patterns. And once you understand the patterns and you can think from a pattern perspective, it's not terribly difficult to pick up. So when did you start Smart Buildings Academy? And actually, let's say, why did you start Smart Buildings Academy? I get bored super easily. And I started a blog. I had an internal blog at Johnson Controls. I actually wrote their BACnet IP integration little white paper and a couple other things. And so I started doing a lot of stuff internally. And then I decided to start doing a lot of stuff externally with the blog, writing a bunch of articles, just stream of consciousness. I was dealing with a bunch of interesting things at the time. I was selling analytics, designing analytics. I later got promoted to run their technical integration program. So all the stuff you hear people talk about on integration, that's all ideas we were actually doing. So I made an integration with a nurse call system where I would read the HL7 code which is basically a stream of code. So I taught myself how to program. And I would read the code for the sign of someone having a heart attack, which is called code blue. And then upon getting that, would automate the lights, turn on the shades to open up, the temperature to turn down because the room gets crowded with people when someone has a heart attack, which is code blue. And then worked on a bunch of other integrations as well. I could go into more, but they're just technical stuff that are Pretty cool to me, but 
I don't know if other folks find them interesting. So I just started writing about that stuff. Then I started creating a podcast about that stuff. And people liked the writing and they liked the podcast. So they suggested a book. I created a book that turned into some videos, which turned into courses. And we became the first vendor agnostic provider of online training about 2016, 2015, 2016. And then 2017, November, I officially resigned my position at Johnson Controls and went to training full time. Since then, we've created 36 online training courses, 12,000 students, 2,000 plus companies that use us. And we recently rolled out a 12-week workforce development program where we've taken folks who work at the post office, work at gas stations, work at hotel lobbies, and we've turned them into control service techs and installation techs completely online in 11 weeks. So... Is the blog still running and what's the name of it? Yeah. So it's actually on our website. If you go to smartbuildingsacademy.com and you go on there, there's a link to our guides, our blog, our podcast. It's all there. So it links to everything is there. Yeah. I like to say 95% of what we do is free. We've got several mini courses and webinars that people can sign up to watch for free. We've got a bunch of guides. They're like hour-long reads, really in-depth stuff, programming on HVAC, on system integration, et cetera, from a controls perspective. Is it just you or are there other people involved? Oh, no. I mean, it was just me in the beginning. Sure. So now we've got a team of seven. We're slated to expand to nine before the year's over primarily it was me creating the training. We've brought on a gentleman by the name of Michael Roper. He was responsible for creating the sales engineering training at Train, left Train to become a high school chemistry teacher, and recently rejoined the industry. But I took a little unique perspective. There's a lot of training organizations out there, not so many in building automation. But my thing was, we're going to hire people with industry experience. So it's made it more difficult to find people because that's one of our requirements. But I feel like it's made our product better because everyone has field stories. They understand what it's like to actually be out there on the roof or be in the mechanical room getting yelled at. Sure. That certainly has to it. How do you conduct the training. So there's some of them are streaming on your own. Some of them, do they hit a certain cycle where you enroll, have to attend class live or anything? That was the craziest part of this was everything we did was what's called asynchronous, also known as self-paced. So we record the training videos. There's a workbook, there's knowledge tests, there's exams. We're accredited through IACET, which is the same accreditation body that Johnson, Siemens, Train, Schneider, all those folks go through to get their continuing education accredited. So we got ourselves accredited, and so we followed their program structure, but everything is asynchronous. And we got a lot of pushback at first with that because there was the premise, the stuff can only be taught in person, it has to be OJT, it has to be on the job. 
the model is send someone away for five days, they stay in a hotel, they focus on training, they come back. We fundamentally disagreed with that model. We looked towards the IT industry, we looked towards the telecom industry, the different industries that were technology focused that used rapid training methodologies with asynchronous training to accomplish skilling up the workforce. And we decided to follow that model. And we got good adoption. We've been profitable since 2017, but it wasn't really until 2020 when COVID came around that we looked like geniuses. <laughs> Just one of those unintentional genius moments where- An overnight success in four years, yeah. Yeah, everyone was looking for online training and there we were. And I've always been very passionate about developing the workforce and really giving people what I didn't have starting in this. We called it probably not the best name, but we called it the COVID special. And we took our top four performing courses, which at the time were a market price of about $2,000 a course, and we sold them for 10 bucks. And you could sign up for any one of the four courses. And my premise was... There's a lot of people getting let go. I believe so much in our courses that you can take one of them and it will qualify you to do something. So we had people sign up to be programmers or technicians or service techs or designers, and they took our course. And still to this day, I get people coming to me who have now been promoted to be managers and whatnot. And they're like, the only reason I'm in this industry is because I signed up for that $10 course you did. And I was able to become a designer or I was able to become a programmer. And it's really nice to be able to point back and be able to say, hey, change this person's trajectory. It's really core to our mission of empowering people who otherwise would not have an opportunity to succeed, to give them access to something that right now you really can only get through multi-year programs, and we're able to do it in a series of months at a, in my opinion, much more affordable cost structure. Do you still buy parts off of eBay and mess around with them? No, God, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't have time for it? So it's funny. My team and I were actually talking about our workforce development program has grown so much that we're starting to discuss how do we stock lab kits for the program? Because we actually, I'm looking over at my wall, we'll send to the student a lab kit with a panel, with controllers, with actuators, temperature sensors, transformers. And they, by the end of the 11 weeks, they're putting together a, a NEMA 3R panel and go in and wiring up transformers and DIN rail and Panduit and all that fun stuff. So now we have to figure out how do we get our hands on that because everyone's got controller shortages now. And we've dodged it with the controller type we use for a while, but it's starting to catch up to us. Even this controller starting to run out. So tell me more about the workforce development program. Did you get attracted to it or you went and found it? How did that happen? There were two schools of thought here. There was go down the government angle with DOL, Department of Labor, or DOE, Department of Education, 
and try to fit our program into their model. So the thing a lot of folks don't realize about apprenticeship and workforce development is there's job codes. And you can get a new job code approved, but it's a lot, a lot of work. So oftentimes a lot of folks will take a job code and they'll do a what is called a partial modification, which you're allowed to do up to 25 to 45-ish percent, depending on the state. And you get yourself approved in a state, and then you can take your apprenticeship program wide, but there's things that come with an apprenticeship program. You have to have an apprenticeship partner. They have to employ people. You have to do certain regulatory reporting, and you have a certain time period of OJT you have to do. Going with our model, we felt that was prohibitively limiting to certain populations, and as well as it required a burden on the businesses that would have to essentially sponsor these employees. So we came up with a program that within 11 weeks, by week six, you're 60% profitably billable. And that was an important delineation. I can make anyone 100% billable by week three, but they're not going to be profitable. They're just going to be out there <laughs> stringing wires and nothing will work, but you could bill for their time. So it was really important that whatever time is billed for is profitable. So we built the program as a gradual progression from OSHA 10, so they could get on a job site, to tool usage, so they could actually do things, to core fundamentals around BAS and HVAC. And then we focused, we did a job shadow, so we shadowed people to see like what do they actually do, took the Pareto principle to figure out what is the 20% that they do 80% of the time. And we said, of that 20%, what can we make massively efficient? And we settled in on cool terminations to the controller, overseeing electrical subs, going and uploading and downloading controllers, setting up communication buses, and field calibrating and testing inputs and outputs. And we said, if we can get all of that done at near 100% efficiency in 11 weeks. And this is where like the math works out is we're able right now, a lot of companies have folks who are making 40, 50 an hour overseeing electrical subs installing IO because they don't have the bodies. So they've got a programmer level person overseeing an electrical sub doing point to point checkout uploading and downloading controllers. So if we can get someone who's maybe 20, 25 an hour and have them do those tasks, that frees up that 40 to 50 buck an hour person. So not only do we get that person efficient at those tasks at 20 to 25 an hour, but then we also go and get those programmers and designers who are 40 to 50 an hour, we get them freed up so that they can go do tasks that they can bill out that are commensurate to their pay structure. So how do you find students? That's the most difficult part. Or do they find you? We find them. In an ideal world, I'd wave a magic wand and we would have strategic relationships with the re-education organizations within each state. 
and we would have a Instagram and TikTok presence that would draw certain populations into our sphere, and we would have relationships with the Votex schools. Right now, it's challenging because most of the Votech folks are grabbed immediately if they can spell HVAC to go work at a resi or a commercial HVAC farm. And so how do you get the attention of those folks when the Votech schools primarily care about placement? Why are they going to go and distract and send someone our way? So establishing those strategic relationships with Votech, with the reskilling firms within different states, that's the long game. The short game right now is we collaborate with system integrators and contractors to create job descriptions that they're able to post. We help them to evaluate potential applicants to those programs, and then they hire them and put them through our program within their first week. So for example, Alberio Energy, they're a customer of ours who have done several cohorts with us. They've been a good customer and they have seen about a 95% success rate. I think they've had one or two people who have not worked out, one due to no fault of their own, just family issues. And I think the other one, just technical aptitude, if I remember correctly. At what point are you still in the process of where the business is pulling you forward or you're pushing the business forward? What stage would you say you're at? Just more from a business perspective. Are you talking about me personally or? No, the SBA, Smart Buildings Academy. Is it moving forward or just because of opportunity that keeps on surfacing? Or is it something where you've started to lay out a plan where it's going to go next? So we definitely have a plan. We have a strategic roadmap for where we want to grow, different business units we want to build out. Right now we have more opportunity than we have capacity to execute. And when I say opportunity, we're fine executing our core business. That's so systemized that we have near limitless bandwidth on the core business. The workforce development that is where we have scalable capacity. So if we had an insurge, we could continue to scale. I'm not too terribly concerned about that. The other areas I want us to grow in are other technology sets, specifically access control, lighting, energy metering, things like that. Things that are tied to either occupant safety or energy management, I believe, are the future. Additionally, I believe we're going to see a big retrofit market. So we're gearing a lot of training towards that market. Retro analysis, continuous commissioning, things like that. So I think we do things really well in those core markets. It's going to be interesting to see how our expand, our methodologies work when we expand to access control, when we expand to different technology sets. It seems like you have all these elements. If you replace those elements with other technologies or applications, you still have that system that works. So it seems like there's a very logical growth potential. I agree. The thing that keeps me up at night is finding the SME to teach it. Yeah, that's it. That's subject matter expert for people who aren't familiar. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's okay. I do enough of these podcasts. I should know not to say acronyms. Well, someone maybe thought you're mispronouncing me. 
which is true because you are a SME for this topic. I see a lot of training providers that are emerging in the market right now. And if you look at their staffing, it's very light on subject matter experts. So I don't want to be one of those companies. We could go over to India and we could hire someone for pennies on the dollar to create curriculum for us. And then we could do voiceover on that curriculum really effectively, but that would not provide the quality of education I want for our program. But I have to be cognizant that there are organizations out there that that is their model, the slide share voiceover model. And a lot of people will buy that if it's priced right. So that's the challenge as an organizational leader is what is the acceptable level of quality for myself personally that I want to put my brand behind? But also, most importantly, for our students who are going to be the recipients of this instruction, how do I go and provide something that touches on the three styles of learning, right? Kinesthetic, audio, and visual kinesthetic being touch, audio obviously being hearing, visual being seeing, in such a way that it engages them. And that takes a very specific type of instructor to do. So the long answer to your question. Oh, thank you. When you mentioned energy monitoring, do you include indoor air quality to that? And what kind of trends are you seeing there? So indoor air quality is an interesting one, right? If you look at ASHRAE 62.1, it's one of the most recent standards because of indoor air quality. So it's ASHRAE 62.1-2022. And just for the listeners, that's to differentiate. 62.2 is for low-rise residential. 62.1 is for larger buildings. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So everything I talk about is going to be focused on the 25,000 square feet or greater commercial, light commercial to heavy, large commercial hospitals, airports, et cetera. That's kind of my world that I play in. But yeah, to your point, 62.2 is resi and then 90.2 is resi as well for the energy standard. So you've seen a lot. I think everything that's going to be done with IAQ is done. It's baked into 62.1 and 2 right now. I think the technologies of passive ionization, spot sterilization, those kind of things are, they're mature for the market. They matured really rapidly. And I think that it was interesting. I was in Carmel for our 40th birthday. My wife and I celebrated our 40th birthday in Carmel over the weekend. And I went to all these restaurants and they had these little blue circles. And they were IAQ monitors. And I guess Carmel signed up for indoor air quality, some initiative like Clean Air Carmel or something. You'll probably look it up. And all these restaurants signed up to put these indoor air quality meters in there. And I don't know if they tied to ventilation of some sort. That would have been interesting to know. But quite frankly, I was focused on drinking wine and hanging out with the wife. So I didn't dig into it. But I do see that almost like a lead-esque for certain parts of the U.S. who are very sensitive to environmental quality of their air. We'd be remiss if we didn't state that 
certain parts of the U.S. seem to care more about that. And it is just is what it is. And have more stressors, too, outdoor wildfires and things like that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I live in Arizona, and we get wildfires and things like that happen. So it is something that is of importance, but I think it's dwarfed by, I fully expect, and I haven't dug into this, but I would be shocked if there wasn't a ASHRAE 90.223 guideline. That is where I think both on the residential as well as on the commercial side, we are going to see the really major shakeups with the Inflation Reduction Act and its tax incentives on 179 Delta being raised. I think we are going to see a lot of changes. That's where I'm betting our training. Um, as I look at our training development pipeline for 2023, I'm betting around service retrofit. I'm betting around selling of retrofits. I'm betting around energy metering and analysis. That's where I believe the market is heading. Based on what's happened in the election, I think the Inflation Reduction Act will stay funded. I don't see it getting defunded. And as such, that is going to be the biggest in my lifetime opportunity for financial growth as a business due to all of the incentives. I think it was funded at $500 billion, but if it actually executes, it's going to be in the trillions. And 90.1 is energy codes for building? 90.1 is the energy code that everyone has to be compliant to. And if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act and 179 Delta, 179 Delta used to state something like a per square foot for reduction of energy baseline. So ASHRAE 90.1 and 90.2 requires you to establish an energy use baseline. And if you can reduce that baseline by up to 50%, you can write off $5 per square foot of retrofit costs. And so this is with REITs and institutional partners, so tax exempt, they can actually transfer that over to their contractor as a tax deduction. So it's really substantial. There are things, and I'm still learning about this, so if I give slightly inaccurate information, I apologize. But what I've learned from a couple energy lawyers I've talked to and other professionals is that 179 Delta is in the IRS tax code. You have to have prevailing wages paid out to the labor you utilize, and you have to reduce against a 90.1 baseline up to 50% is a sliding scale to $5 a square foot in tax deduction. So that could be massive. And that would be for the building owners or the real estate investments? They can pass it on to their contractors. Can pass it on to their contractors, okay. If I'm understanding it correctly. Going back to your students, is there something they get after taking the course? I'm glad you brought that up. So I feel that is one of our biggest unsung benefits of our program that we don't talk about as effectively as we should. But our programs are built in such a way that you complete them at your own pace over the period of a year. Most people complete them in less than 90 days. If I were looking at the standard deviations, your first standard 
would be 90 days. Your second standard would be even shorter than that, 45 days, et cetera. So most people are 90 days. Substantial portion are less than that. And there's a little bit that take the full year. So what we do, though, during that year, once you've completed it, the courses are regularly updated. We built a process around student feedback. And since everything's asynchronous, video doesn't make sense. We're able to clear it up either by re-recording it or adding more videos, et cetera. So they get access to that. They have a student forum that they get responses to within 24 hours. And then we have live office hours with our instructor staff every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that they can hop in and just ask any questions. It really sounds like anyone who's listening here that's the remotest bit interested has got to go to the website. Yeah, and here's what I would recommend they do. We have, and I don't use the term best very often, but from most people I've talked to, said we have the best skill assessment they've ever seen. We've devoted probably 2,000 plus man hours, and we're on version nine of the skill assessment. And what it is, it's a quantitative skill assessment across 40 plus technical and sales and project management domains. So it just depends which version of the assessment you take. And folks will take the assessment and it will determine what they know in the area of, for example, IT, HVAC, BAS, project documents, programming, et cetera. And then that's against a base of 20,000 assessees who have taken it. So you'll see the global average, you'll see the company average, and then you'll see yourself. And we'll be able to tell you where you rank. What you do with that information Hopefully, you purchase our training courses. If you don't, the assessment's completely free. It's something that is always going to remain completely free for existing individuals. We do have a hiring assessment that we charge for, for people who are looking to analyze people they're hiring. But our assessment by itself is completely free. That's pretty awesome because that really tells you if you should spend your time doing this. You may have a notion that this makes sense, but this can affirm the bridge between where you are and where you need to be. Does it then lay out a course program individually? So we lay that out through a collaborative discussion if they want to have that discussion. Going back to our mission, which is to empower individuals to have successful and lucrative careers in building automation and ultimately the smart building space, this gives them that information. If they want to go and watch our YouTube videos and use our course content and buy stuff off eBay and try to teach themselves, at least they'll know where they should focus their time. If they want a guided, scripted plan that takes them through exactly what they need to know in the shortest amount of time possible, we provide those training services. And most folks, when they go through the assessment, they at least want to hear what we can offer, and that's great, but I don't want anyone to feel like they have to purchase something from us. That's pretty awesome. So is it true you're going to be at the AHR Expo? Yeah, definitely. We are going to be, for the first time, having a booth. We're going to be on the other side of Interplay, 
and we're going to be across from Distech. So I don't have the booth number off the top of my head, but if you look us up, we'll be there. My entire team, minus our lead instructor, because he's going to be running a workforce development cohort, will be there. Yeah, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I'll definitely put the website in the show notes and the HR Expo, the link to your booth. So anyone who's going to that can be sure to stop by and see you in person. Yeah, I'm going to be doing the podcast pavilion. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be speaking on IT. So last time I did a speaking session at Honeywell Momentum on IT, they asked me to come back and teach a longer session. So at AHR, I'm going to be doing a session on IT fundamentals because everything we do now is pretty much IT-centric and we still have a pretty poor level of understanding as an industry. On our skill assessment, that's the worst testing levels by far. People tend to bomb that area. So we'll be doing that. And then I believe my director of sales is going to be on a panel on workforce development where we're going to be talking about our approach contrasted to other approaches in the marketplace right now, which I want to win in the marketplace of ideas. And I definitely believe we will. So it'll be interesting to see our model contrasted to other more traditional models of workforce development. Well, it's a great conversation. You have a quiet confidence about you, which I think is really pretty cool. It's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> it took a long time to develop. Many, many, many times where I was like, Phil, that's great, but that didn't win you any friends or you could be right and lose the battle. Yeah. So. Interesting. Well, very good. Well, thank you for coming on my podcast. And I don't know how these will come out in sequence, but I'll be on Phil's podcast shortly talking about a topic of my own. He'll be interviewing me in a couple of days here. And so again, thanks again, Phil. It's always a pleasure. I will definitely put it on my list to stop by your booth at AHR. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And definitely appreciate everything you're doing for the space. I've been impressed to see your growth, both personal as well as your organization. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, back at you, man. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where we interviewed Phil Zito of the Smart Buildings Academy. See the tie in there? If you're interested in contacting me with any topic on the Building HVAC Science Podcast, send me an email to bill at truetechtools.com. There's a lot of other great resources out there, trade-related resources and influencers, including the HVACR School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, HomeDiagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, and Jim Bergman and MeasureQuick. I also host the Res Talk podcast. You can learn more about everything going on in home energy ratings and other peripheral topics by listening to that podcast. If you like what you heard today and not subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science in the search bar and subscribing to the podcast. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, which is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. Hope everyone is enjoying these podcasts. And if not, give me some feedback. Bill at truetechtools.com. Thank you very much for listening, and hopefully we'll get you back again here listening to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take care.